Well, hello there, happy innovators. How is everybody doing today, huh? Are you doing good? You know, good? Or good? Hmm? Good. Okay. You know, here at Pipe Choir Records, I get comments on my content pretty much every single day, okay? Um, not like hundreds a day or anything like that, but enough to, you know, take some time to read through things or whatever. Devote some time to it, you know, reading what people's comments are. And I enjoy that, you know? Um, I could probably do a, an entire podcast on just the different kinds of, you know, comments that I get because there's like categories. <laughs> um, like some of them are weird, you know, some of them are cruel or insulting, some of them are snarky, some of them are really pleasant. Um, and I enjoy reading them. Okay, and I appreciate the idea that people take the time to do something like that. I think it's really, really nice and it's a cool thing to do, you know, for somebody like me who's making content for the public to enjoy, right? So it's good to get that feedback, you know? And I don't usually talk about that kind of stuff too much. Um, and I don't think about it too much either, okay? But... Um, Lately, I've been getting a lot of really interesting questions. And um, the kind of questions that inspire me or kind of like prompt me to really want to answer them, not just in the comment section, okay, but maybe more of like a universal question to me that I could answer on my podcast or something. And it may be answering a question that you have as well without you even having to ask it because somebody else has asked it first. So uh, what do I mean by all this? Okay, um, I'm going to start off with a comment that I got a couple days ago from a listener of probably a lot of my music named Dr. Domino. Okay, and... Um, you know, he checked out my music or something. It sounds like he must have listened to a lot of it. And he comes at me with this like statement in the comment section on one of my videos that goes something like this. Like, um, I have a question to ask you about your music. Okay, period. Stop. Okay. So I responded by just saying, go ahead and ask. Like, you can ask. Go ahead. And he comes back at me with two questions. Okay. The first question he asks me, why do I keep making the same music over and over again? Okay. And the second question was like, how many times are you going to redo on axis? The song I wrote called on axis now. Okay. So, you know, it's kind of funny because when I get a question like that, because it's typed, you know, it's it's written, it's not spoken. And I don't really get the sentiment necessarily of like how they're asking me. OK, so, you know, like when I read something like that, I will, you know, kind of divide it into two categories. Like, OK, he's either being sincere and just asking a question or he's kind of like being a little snarky. Okay. He or she, I would imagine that it's a he. Okay. Um, but I don't know for sure. So, you know, if you ask me, why do I keep making the same music over and over again? It's like, you know, that's a good question. Okay. That is a good question. If you're somebody who is kind of just stumbled into this whole, uh, you know, Mike Bostwick pipe choir PC three thing. Like you just kind of found out about it. You're getting into it and you notice that a lot of the times I will, you know, 
extend a song or I will shorten it or I will take a part from a song and put it into a new song and all that kind of stuff. You know, it raises the question and it, it makes sense to me. Okay, but at the same time, I think it's kind of funny because I guess I can answer it by saying, like at first, okay, what the people who listen to my music have to realize, probably first and foremost, okay, is that I really am still kind of learning how to do this, okay? Even though I've been writing songs for a long time, um, and I guess, you know, recording my own songs for a long time, I'm self-taught, so I... You know, there's a lot of trial and error in all of this, okay? Like, no one ever gave me a lesson on the drums or something. I taught myself, and no one ever taught me how to play guitar. I taught myself, and nobody ever taught me how to record myself. I had to learn it myself, and, you know, I'm still very much in that process, okay? That's the first thing you have to kind of realize when you listen to my music, okay? Uh, but there's also another part that you have to realize, like part two of this this thought, this answer, okay? Is that for the most part, most of us, the people who are listening to this podcast right now, all of you, okay, and myself included, we are used to this model of music and how it's made and how it should be that's actually pretty old and kind of, in my opinion, a little outdated, okay? Like, most people are used to radio format songs, you know? Uh, Tom Petty's Free Fallen, you know? It's three minutes long. Everybody can sing along. It's on the radio all the time, okay? And that makes sense to me. And I like that song. And I like Tom Petty, okay? But at the same time, okay, I am a singer-songwriter, you know, making albums right now, okay? And I don't necessarily believe in that old model anymore. Now, unfortunately, for a lot of people, they're still stuck there, but I am not. And before I'm ever going to be, you know, what, a rock star or anything like that, before any of that stuff, okay, what you have to remember is that I'm a recording artist, with the emphasis being on artist. Okay, I am an artist with sound. Okay, so I'm not a rock star. I'm not a rock and roller. I'm not like making radio friendly songs all the time. And I have no problem like working out a song over the course of a long period of time. Like, okay, using Free Falling by Tom Petty as an example. Okay, it never made much sense to me that Tom Petty would write and record a song like Free Falling, okay? And then in the future, you might get a live version of it, okay? Or you might get, like, a remixed version of it by somebody else, okay? Which I suppose is along the lines of what I'm talking about here. Like, it does exist in some form, okay? But... I always kind of wondered why, like in the future, if Tom Petty had kind of like a new approach about free falling that he thought might work or he thought might be a little bit better or maybe a little bit interesting or something, why wouldn't he just be able to go back into the studio and make another version of it? Like you could still keep the old version if that's what you like, but it's a great song. I mean, why does it have to be recorded once and once only and that's it it never made any sense to me ever since I was little okay so naturally with my own music and you know because of the fact that I consider myself a recording artist 
okay? I throw away all the rules. Like, I don't have any rules when it comes to making music in my studio. And these are my songs. These are my ideas. And I will do with my songs and my ideas whatever I want to do, whatever my whim is, okay? This is mine. This stuff is mine. I don't have a record company. I don't have a manager. I don't have bandmates. I have myself. I answer to myself. And if I feel like a song might be more interesting in another, like, sonic interpretation or something pretentious like that, you know, I'm going to do it. And I don't care what people think. I mean, I want people to like what I do, obviously, but you got to remember, okay, that first and foremost, before I'm anything else, okay, I'm a recording artist. I'm an artist who uses sound and recording to express myself. I do other things too, obviously. I do a podcast or I'll paint pictures or I, you know, do writing or something like that, creative writing. But I am an artist first. And I reserve the right to do whatever I want to do with my music. And I expect that my happy innovators and the people who are fans and appreciate the music and the things I'm doing at Pipe Choir Records, like I expect them to want to go along with me, like wherever I take them. Okay? Like this is my experiment. So you get to come with me. And and you don't have to if you don't want to. I get that. For some people, you know, the honest wave music and all the stuff I'm doing is like too much sometimes. It's overwhelming or it's boring or whatever. And that's fine. I don't I don't care. Okay? I don't care. If you like it, great. If you don't, no big deal. But remember that you you've gotta take the rule book. Like when you come to me, when you come to Pipe Choir Records to listen to something I've made, I'm not a rock star, okay? I'm not writing pop hits for you. That's not what I'm doing. You can go to any other YouTube channel, uh, you know, on YouTube or on any platform that's streaming music because there's millions and millions of other bands that are not doing what I'm doing, okay? And, uh, you know, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. I, I would encourage it. I would encourage you to listen to the normal, you know, basic traditional kind of things but I and my happy innovators I would like to think anyway are kind of like a little bit more interested in things that are a little bit different right what's the point of trying to do what everybody else is doing and in a way I have to kind of laugh a little bit at that question or that kind of question Like, why do you keep redoing the same songs over and over again? Okay. It's like, I I have to laugh. I have to laugh because it's like, whoever is asking that question, it's coming from a place of somebody who is like stuck, at least in my view. Okay. Somebody who is probably stuck in this really narrow interpretation of like what it means to be a recording artist you know so I don't know I mean I'm not I'm not coming down on this person okay but it does make me think and it made me want to answer like like you have come to the wrong place if you think that you're coming here to get the standard you know music fair that you'd get at any other you know, channel or whatever, you know, any other artist, I reserve the right to be weird and I reserve the right to do whatever I want to do at any time. And that will never change. 
because I'm never going to have a manager. I'm never going to sign a record deal. I don't want to. I am happy with the situation that I'm in. I'm doing just fine. And I'm going to continue to do it the way I want to do it until I no longer am alive. This is what I'm going to be doing and how I'm going to be doing it. Who knows where I'll be in five years? Maybe I'll take a left-hand turn and I'll go off into completely, you know, classical music all day, every day. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll be doing reggae music. I don't know. It could be whatever comes to me or whatever I feel like doing. And I think, okay, I'd like to think that my happy innovators, the people who are loyal fans to what I'm doing and they get it and they appreciate it, I'd like to think that they want me to be doing that. Okay, and that's part of the reason why they're listening to me in the first place. You know? That's my hope. Okay. Now, now, the second part of the question was, how many times are you going to redo the song on Axis? Now, I got to tell you, this one I really wanted to answer because if you go back to the podcast I did, uh, I think it was one of the Ad Astra descriptions uh, it was Ad Astra 3. Okay, I did a description of the album Ad Astra 3. And, and in that description, I specifically, specifically talked about the song on Axis. Okay, and how I would imagine, because I like the song and the lyrics, particularly the lyrics of that song, so much. I, I really do feel that in that song, in the words for this, that song on Axis that I have, okay, it's on the Pipe Choir debut album. It's on the PC1 Wilderness album, I think, I think. And it is for sure uh, in the middle of When the Wind Comes. You know, I put it in there because the lyrics are saying... Uh, precisely the message of Pipe Choir. Like if you took all the songs I've written and all the things I've said and all the things that I've done and you condense them down into one short little three-minute song, there's the message. Okay? The lyrics are very good in my opinion and I'm very happy with them. And because that song is what it is, like what it's become to me, okay, to the person who has written that song, okay, and I've written a lot, I have like, I have like 250 songs floating out there in the ether, you know, and out of all of them, there's this one that I did a few years back, and oh boy, you know, it's like, it's, it's in my opinion, it stands the test of time to me, okay, to me, and I've already done like one, two, three, maybe like three or four versions of that song. And I will continue in the future to make new versions of that song and any other song I have. But in particular, the song on Axis, like what I'm saying is like concise. And in my opinion, it was like perfect. It like hit the bullseye and you know, for singer-songwriters out there that are listening to this podcast right now, you know, and I know, that when you hit the bullseye on something, like in your view, in your opinion, when you write something or you make something or you do something that hits it right on the bullseye, like right where you wanted it to hit, you know, what you wanted it to do, you know that that's rare. I mean, you know that it is. It doesn't happen with everything you make. So when you do find one of those gems, one of those things like I did with my song On Axis and the lyrics to that song, oh man, I will make 50 versions of that song a day if I feel like it, you know? Like, I, I will never, like, stop. Like, I, I'm going to make 
hopefully, I'm going to make versions of on axis like until I die. Like there will be like if things go according to my plan, there'll be like 50 versions of that song when I die. You know, that one song. And if you think about it, it's actually kind of cool because that is a way of thinking and doing that pretty, pretty much, as far as I know, not too many other songwriters or artists or musicians or whatever are even shooting for or doing, you know, like when you're in this business of music and entertainment and you know, making content for people and putting it out there. When you stumble across original ideas or things that other people don't seem to be doing and you, you seem to be doing it like for the first time, even though that may not be true. There may be some obscure person somewhere or maybe some famous person somewhere that I'm unaware of that might be doing it as well. Like, the point is, is that I'm not aware of them. So I came up with this idea on my own, like this idea of redoing a song over and over and over and over again and taking the guitar line from this song like Legos. You know, you take the guitar line from this song and you put it over here on this song. What happens then? You know, or you take the drums from this song and you put them over here on this song. What does that sound like? What does that do? I do that kind of stuff all the time. Why? Why would I do that? Because I feel like it, first of all, and because it's like, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And who cares, right? Like, why would anybody care? I guess people who are not, like, close to my output. They're not close to the music that I'm generating. It's not part of their life. It's not on their phone. You know, they just they just kind of like step in and then step back out again. Okay, they're not going to get it. Like, they're not going to get it. But the people who come to Pipe Choir Records and they've signed up, they're subscribed and they stay. You know, they're here. They know what I'm doing. You know, they probably, what, listen to the podcast. They probably listen to the music. They probably have maybe, okay, maybe read some of the books that I've published, you know, the poetry and stuff like that. I mean, they're probably, you know, some of them anyway, are probably really tuned in. And that's cool. It might be a small number of people, and I'm happy with that, okay? But for the people who don't get it, I'm not honestly, and this might sound bad, okay? I don't mean it this way. I don't mean it to be bad, okay? It's just truth. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I don't care what they think. Like, um, I, I feel bad that they don't like it, I guess. Like, okay, that's a shame. You know, have a nice life. Like, good luck. I, you know, listening to whatever music it is that you like to listen to. I don't mind. There's a room for everybody here, you know, but for the people who want something a little bit different, a little bit weird, uh, what, maybe a little redundant, you know, hearing the same things over and over again, or, you know, a song that used to be what, like a five minute song. And now it's like stretched out into some honest wave thing. You know, it's like an eight hour song now, you know, that like, that's what you're going to get. But, you know, you're also going to get normal sometimes. I'm not whacked out and like flipped out all the time. I can appreciate good songwriting and, you know, you know, traditional songwriting. And I admire many, many other groups. And so, you know, actually, now that I've answered that first comment, it brings me to another comment that I got from someone else. Yeah, a fan of mine that has been over the past few months, man, <laughs> he has listened to every single thing I've made. And if I could get like a million more listeners like him, like a million more, I would be set for the rest of my life. You know, it's like, it's impressive. I gotta say, this guy has commented on every single thing I've done. And he's even found the obscure stuff. I mean, I'm impressed. 
I gotta say, I'm impressed. And, you know, all kidding aside, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's like every artist's dream is to have somebody care enough to even like dig and start going through your stuff, finding it all, all the obscure stuff and asking questions about it. Well, anyway, this listener, whom I appreciate very, very much, asked me in the comment section on one of my videos, like, what are some of my favorite bands? And I thought, you know what? That is a great question that not too many people have ever really asked me, you know? And um, I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a basic question, right? Pretty simple um, that I never get asked. So I figured in this podcast today that I would talk about it. I would answer that question. And I figured, you know, I like so much music. I, I listen to a lot of music, okay? And my my tastes in music are really broad. At least I like to think they are, okay? But, um, like, I could probably narrow it down for, like, my top five, but I had the idea, okay? And you'll probably see me doing this in the next few months, but I had the idea of actually taking the that question and answering it, but taking it like even a step further um, for, for a few reasons. One, because it would be a way of saying thank you to that happy innovator that asked the question in the first place. You know, because when I started this podcast, let me tell you, okay, when I started this podcast a long time ago, I kind of hoped and I really wanted, okay, people to ask me questions about things and I would answer them. And I hoped, you know, in the early days of Snowflake 33, I had hoped that I would get a lot of that, you know, and unfortunately, because no one gave a shit what I was doing and no one really cared for a long, long, long time. Okay. Um, you know, I, I never really got asked too many questions and the ones that I did get asked, I would answer the best that I could, you know, it mattered to me, but it wasn't nearly what I thought it was going to be or what it might be like. And like most things in my life, you know, from the onset, it didn't go the way I wanted it to, but over time, eventually, you know, yeah, people started asking me questions, you know, like eventually the Singularity podcast arrived at, you know, the place where I had hoped it would have been like years ago. Okay. But that's okay. You know, it's, it's cool. We're, we're here now and I can appreciate that. And that's excellent. That's great. Okay. It just took me a long time, but, um, I appreciate it so much that it's like, I'll take that answer to that question. Like what are some of my favorite bands? I'll take that even like a step further, you know, I'll, I'll, I think what I'm going to do is make something that's kind of like separate from the Singularity podcast. You know, I'm not sure yet how I'm going to do it. I'm like working it out in my mind, but, you know, kind of like those drum practice videos that I've been releasing lately. Um, you know, it's not really about my drumming and it's not really about me. It's really just an excuse to ha let people listen to the music that I really like. That's really what it is. Yes, I'm drumming in the video, you know, all those things. I'm in the video, okay, you can see me so that you're not bored to death, you know? Um, it's something, okay, it's something, but really it's about the music that you're hearing in those videos. And it's a lot of fun for me to do that. I, I enjoy probably more than maybe even making music or talking about my own music, I enjoy talking about other people's music. I mean, I, I love music. I listen to it all the time. Um, I'm always, always on the hunt for new music and bands that I've never heard of. It doesn't matter how obscure they are. And it doesn't matter if they only have like one song that I really like. That's okay. You know, um, you know, I, I just, I have a lot of groups that are like that. And I would, uh, 
you know, I would be able to answer the question that I was asked, you know, right now, right here, right now. But um, there's a lot of bands that I would leave out because I, you know, I would forget or I don't remember their name or, oh, yeah, I forgot. I really liked that song or I really liked those albums that they really, I mean, it's so much. Okay. But for the sake of this podcast right here, right now, answering the question, what are some of my favorite bands? Okay. Gosh, it, it took me forever to get around to this answer. Um, I would say the, the bands that come to mind first and foremost are like um, Enigma. I think that Enigma is probably the best example to me of what I want to be or like what I want to do or how I want to do it. Like the business model for what I would want. Okay. Um, Michael Cretu from Enigma is like a one man show. He doesn't tour. He doesn't play concerts. All he does is work in the studio and make these magnificent masterpieces. Okay. And you know, you may be familiar with Enigma. You may not be. If you are, it's probably like that one song return to innocence that came out in like 1995 or something. And let me tell you, since that time, that guy has been making albums that are just absolutely stellar, absolutely stellar productions. And, you know, he's managed to evolve and change with technology and all those things because it's, you know, a very electronic music. It's electronic based music. So, um, you know, he's just trust me, you know, he's just brilliant. He's like the best drummer I've ever heard, you know, and there aren't any real drums on his any of his songs, you know, which is strange, isn't it? But like talk about having a firm grasp of what rhythm is and what it should do. Like when you listen to an Enigma album, you listen to an Enigma song. It's all math, man. It's like you can hear it. From the time one of his songs starts to the end, everything is mathematical. It's like 16th notes, whole notes, quarter notes, uh, counterpoint. I mean, he's like he's so good at making things move in a mix. And he's made a nice living. Um, he has a large following that I am part of. And uh, he continues to be creative and do things the way that he wants to do them. So number one on my favorite band list, I would have to say right now, is Enigma. Okay. I also like Enya a lot because Enya, like Michael Cretu from Enigma, it's very similar. She's a female, of course. Um, But she's a singer. You know, she really is not only a talented musician, especially with classical instruments, but she is a genius of singing. So um, I own every like Enigma record that he's ever made. And I own every single Enya record that has ever been made. Okay. And I listen to them often because Enya has this way of layering her voice and you know, making music that is like calm and actually beautiful and makes you feel good, like in these absolutely incredible, lush, like layers of beautiful sound. Okay. And I really like that. I really do. Okay. So let's see. They got Enigma and Enya. Then I would probably say that you two nowadays would probably be ranked number three. Um, and not because of their newer music, obviously. Um, they're the, the first maybe five or six U2 albums were so compelling and so groundbreaking and so powerful that for a young guy like me when I was really young um, and I was a spiritual 
guy, you know, even as a kid. Um, I never had any problem, you know, believing in God. And, and you two was really the first group, really, to talk about that or to sing and write songs from that place. Okay. And if you ask me, I mean, it's a fact, really, if you ask me. They kind of started the whole Christian rock movement. I mean, it was not until really like U2 came along. I mean, everybody wanted to sound like them. And it was like for a young kid like me, you know, who was a believer and I had faith in those things. It was refreshing and kind of cool to feel or to know that the group that was really better than every other group was singing about those things and was coming from a place that I could relate to, you know, and they were unstoppable and nobody could do it like they did it. And every album got better and better and better. I mean, eventually they hit a ceiling, right? It it kind of plateaued, maybe even started to dip, you know, after a while. But, you know, for all you older folks out there who grew up in the days before, you know, U2 was around, you and you remember, right? You remember when they came out. They went from being just another group to, like, dominating the world in a very short period of time, in a very steady climb, because what they were doing was fantastic. Um, so I would have to rank U2 as, like, number three, okay? Now, there are so many groups that I listen to, though. You have to understand, I, I'm naming the ones that I'm, I'm telling you the names of groups that I own everything that they've recorded. Okay. So we got Enigma, Enya, U2, uh, the Mission UK. I have to say, I have a friend of mine in Scotland who is a musician as well. And he, you know, really comes from the school of the Sisters of Mercy. Okay. There are two. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. There was a group back in the 80s called the Sisters of Mercy. They might still be around. I'm not 100% sure. But the Sisters of Mercy had two members of their band quit. They broke away and they started their own group called the Mission UK. Now, that divided the fan base into two camps, you know, for the most part. Um the people who still were loyal to the Sisters of Mercy and then the people who were going off with Wayne Hussey and Craig Smith in the Mission UK. And I was one of those. I I never really got into the Sisters of Mercy too much, okay? I mean, I was into the whole goth thing, and that's cool and all. But with the Mission UK... I always kind of felt there was a little bit more going on there. My friend in Scotland, I mean, I could hear him (laughs) right now, rolling his eyes and pounding the table. Like, he disagrees with me, okay? Love you, Stu, (laughs) if you hear this, okay? But I believe, okay, I come from the camp where I thought the Mission UK had a little bit more going on. Um, Their guitar playing in particular for me I thought was you know very what like influential it made me want to play guitar it made me want to learn and made me pick up the instrument and like want to play because the Mission UK was like very melodic and they used a lot of 12 string guitar and at the time they were doing that and maybe even now like up until this time not too many bands have really capitalized on that sound, okay? It's a very distinct sound. It's a very shimmery kind of guitar sound. And the Mission UK did it all the time, okay? And it sounded great. And um, I bought every record they made. And uh, I went and saw them in concert as many times as I could. And I got their autographs. And I mean, I'm I'm like a, a huge Mission UK fan. Um, 
Have they had some bad moments? Yes, I think they have, especially lately. I'm not into what he's doing so much anymore, but there is no denying that maybe like the first three or four, five Mission UK records were absolutely stellar productions. And um, they changed my life. I did a podcast about the Garden of Delight by the Mission UK, songs that changed my life. And um, he's got a handful of them, really. That was just one of them. So what we got? We got uh, Enigma, Enya, U2, the Mission UK. And then I would, man, I got to say, I mean, this sounds like so cliche, I guess, but Depeche Mode, man, you know, when I listen to Depeche Mode, okay, I, I hear my life. You know, I hear how they shaped what I am. And I didn't even realize that was happening. You know, you're not conscious of that kind of thing when it's happening because you're young and you're just, what, like going to a concert or you're just listening to a song again or you're just buying their new album or whatever, right? But when I hear Depeche Mode and I remember... The time before I even knew who they were, you know, uh, I remember there was this one girl, very, very nice looking girl named Kristen, who was originally she lived near where I lived growing up. Then she moved away to California for a while and then she came back to where I was and she brought with her a lot of music that was out in California at the time. And one of the groups that she kind of tuned me into was this group called Depeche Mode. And they had a song called People Are People. And she played it for me. And I was just like shocked because what I was hearing, okay, now you have to remember too, you have to remember, I was a young drummer. Like I was playing my drums like every day. And uh, I mean, every day I was trying to get really good. And, you know, I'm listening to People Are People by Depeche Mode. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song or not, but, you know, you can Google it. You can look it up on YouTube or whatever. But the the rhythm of that song is like machinery. Okay. And this is like way before industrial music, you know, way before any of that stuff. I was like listening to this rhythm track on this Depeche Mode song, People Are People. And I'm thinking to myself, How in the hell are they getting those sounds? I mean, it sounded amazing to me. Like, what is that? Like, really, really rhythmic, really, really hard-hitting and powerful and big, you know? But it wasn't like Metallica, you know? And it wasn't like Black Sabbath or Kiss. It was some completely different thing. And... Hence, the journey began. I mean, I, 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 I had to hear more. And uh, a couple of years later, you know, this guy that I was in a band with, he, he was older than me. You know, I was the youngest guy in the band. This band I was playing in a long, long time ago. Um, you know, actually, the guys from the band I was in, they went on to form a band called Lestat. And I'm pretty sure they're still going or... They just released an album not too long ago. They had broken up for a while and they had like success of their own. Okay. Um, which I thought was kind of cool. Anyway, these guys who went on to form Lestat at this time when I was in this band with them a long time ago, they bought the tickets for Depeche Mode live at Blossom Music Center and they bought me a ticket and I, and I went, I mean, I got to go and we were like really close to the stage. I had like a great seat. Okay. And that was very important because it changed everything for me. Okay. We were maybe like four or five rows back from the stage and Depeche Mode had, uh, OMD orchestral maneuvers in the dark was opening and Knights are ebb was the second band. And then Depeche Mode came out. Now, OMD, I was familiar with, I liked their songs. They were pretty cool. And they came out and they were great. Okay. Knights of Reb came out and they had this drummer that wasn't sitting. He was standing. 
and he was like tribal. You know, he was, his drumming style was tribal. I mean, he was incredible to watch, you know? I mean, you got to remember, I mean, drums at this moment in my life, they were everything to me, okay? And being exposed to someone who's taking that approach to the instrument was like, it was like going to school, you know? And I was blown away. I mean, instantly a Knights or Ebb fan, instantly, you know, dialing into what this guy is doing, the hard-hitting rhythms of Knights or Ebb, right? And then they leave the stage and Depeche Mode comes out and it was the music for the masses tour, okay? And I was like really, at this point, really familiar with a lot of what they had made, a lot of the songs they had done. So, you know, going to the concert, I knew pretty much every song they played, okay? And they were absolutely excellent. I mean, par excellence in concert. Uh, I mean, for a band that didn't really have a drummer, you know, and I'm a drummer, and, and like all I really cared about was drummers and drumming, for them to hold my attention like they did for two hours or three hours, whatever it was, it was unbelievable. They were so good in concert. If you never got to see Depeche Mode in concert back in the day, like uh, what the Music for the Masses tour or the Violator tour or um, uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion, which in my opinion is their absolutely best album. I mean, Songs of Faith and Devotion by Depeche Mode is stellar. It's it's it couldn't be better. Okay, if you ask me, Um, and their concert was bar none. The concert for Songs of Faith and Devotion, the devotional tour. There's a video, you know, of that concert. It is absolutely uh, impeccable. There's not anything that could change to make it better. I mean one of the absolute best live performances I have ever seen and will ever see, okay, will ever see, was Depeche Mode on the Music for the Masses tour, the first time I saw them in concert, and the Songs of Faith and Devotion tour, the devotional tour. I saw that concert, and it was just, it changed changed the way I thought about everything I was doing. And it's the Depeche Mode album to this day, like to, to this very moment. It's my go-to. When I want to hear Depeche Mode, I listen to Songs of Faith and Devotion. I think that album couldn't be better. I, I don't think it could be better. I don't think that Depeche Mode will ever do anything better than that. I hope I'm wrong, okay, because I'm still a Depeche fan. I still am. I like their music, not so much the new stuff, and I have my reasons, but oh my gosh, they're great. So let me see. I have Enigma, Enya, U2, The Mission UK, and Depeche Mode. Now, those are my top five, okay? But trust me, okay? I'm just scratching the surface here. There's a few bands that, uh, you know, I really kind of believe, okay, I kind of believe that you should hear, okay, if you haven't listened to their music, you should, and I will be glad to introduce you to them, and I think, you know, in lieu of this question I got from this very loyal, happy innovator of mine, um, I'm going to do something separate from the podcast, I think, I think I'm going to do like a breakdown, talking bits about each one of these groups and the other groups I don't have time to talk about right now, today. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you kind of like a little synopsis of each one of those bands. Maybe I'll break down their albums for you, why I like them, you know, what was good about them, what was bad. Um, and I'll do that for a lot of groups. What, The Cure, uh, The Tea Party, 
Man, there's so many. The October Project, The Innocence Mission, um, Voivod, uh, The Young Gods. Uh, there's so many. I, I listen to so much music. Okay. Anyway, so what an what a interesting thing, you know. Finally, after all these years, I'm getting these questions, and oh man, is it fun to answer them. So thank you. Uh, you know, my happy innovators for asking the questions. If you ask me a question uh, like that, I'll answer it for you. I think it's totally righteous, totally cool. So thank you very much. And I probably should get going here. Hang on. Yeah, I probably should get going here. I don't have too much more time to talk today, but, uh, you'll be hearing from me again really soon. Uh, you know, in the meantime, peace out, stay warm, have fun, be safe. And uh, remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. happy innovators, the ones who are generous enough with their time and their energy to hang around after the podcast and listen to some music. Um, you know what I'm going to do today is I'm going to let you hear a recording by a group that I had mentioned in the previous podcast. Not one of my songs now. Okay. It'll be a song from a group called the Mission UK. It's a song that I think that everybody should hear at least once and um, a song I love very, very much. I think it's brilliant and um, actually it's kind of, uh, it's interesting because it's not just one song, it's two songs that are connected to each other and that idea of taking two songs and connecting them, having them running into each other. Uh, well, you know, I gotta say, if you've ever heard me do it, which I'm sure you have, now you'll know where I get that idea from. Uh, this is a song by the group called The Mission UK. It's a song called Heaven on Earth and a song called Tower of Strength. And two of The Mission UK's greatest songs of all time. And really, that song Heaven on Earth, it's the first song you're gonna hear, the first section or the first part. You know, uh, you'll get a good idea of what I was talking about when I said they played the 12 string guitar a lot. It has a very shimmery kind of sound. You'll be able to hear it. What I'm like, what I'm talking about in this song. And then it flows into this other song called Tower of Strength. And it's just like crack and thud drumming, you know, big, big drums and like big song, big sound. Um, and like an interesting little kind of side note here. Okay. This song, uh, heaven on earth, tower of strength. Those two songs are from an album called children. And that album children by the mission UK was produced by John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. Like a little interesting bit of information. So, um, I mean, I, I love this music, folks. And, you know, I will probably spend the rest of my life like, on some level striving to sound like this or to do this kind of thing. So hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I do. And if you don't, you know what? That's totally cool. But stay tuned in the future um, for this newer idea that one of my happy innovators has inspired this new kind of like series or something. Like I said, I'm not sure. I haven't quite worked it out in my head, 
but it's it's swimming around in there. You know, I'm I'm really kind of thinking about this. Like, what if I did a, a video of me talking about U2 or a, a video of me talking about Depeche Mode, only Depeche Mode, why I like them. Here's the albums. Here's what I like. And here's what I don't like. You know, I don't know. Let me know in the comments, maybe. Is that a good idea, folks? I think it sounds like one. So until next time, peace out. Enjoy this. The Mission UK from the album Children, produced by John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, uh, Heaven on Earth and Tower of Strength. Peace out, everybody. Forevermore Heaven